I'm bringing you today someone that uh, we have been following uh, online, on social media, and uh, he has so much incredible information that we thought you needed to uh, to meet him. Uh, he is a law enforcement professional. He is a very prolific writer and uh, a guy who really understands what's happening, what is happening in the law enforcement profession today. Rollin Clee, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. So uh, give people just your a thumbnail on uh, on your very interesting background. Well, I, I had a great time. I was a community service officer with a large uh, city police department for about 27 years. And uh, I, I wound up becoming an instructor. So I wound up hanging out with the sworn officers most of the time. We really bonded over uh, shooting one another with ammunitions and people dragging me and hitting me with an asp. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go to investigations in um, in 2001 and um, I was dumped a, a juvenile program and I decided to do something with it. And so when we uh, we had some concerns during 2008, 2000, 2009 with the rising crime, uh, the chief created a violent crimes office, created a violent crimes czar. And then everyone whispered to the chief, you better send this guy along with <laughs> To that office, so I spent uh, I spent uh, about eleven years with the command staff, and then uh, you know I visited. Uh, I worked in media relations about three three different tours through that, and um, and then I closed out my career as a missing persons detective and homicide. So you literally have seen uh, big city law enforcement from the ground up. And uh, and now we're living, uh, you know, in in a time where law enforcement is uh, is under attack. We have been demonized. We've been vilified. And uh, now, especially for the last three and a half years, we're having a difficult time not only retaining police officers, but recruiting new people to this profession. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, there were we used to recruit from three different groups, and the first group was the uh, the families. These were, you know, the the largest group that would um, would bring legacy uh, legacy family members into the profession. People were people were considered uh, destined to become a police officer when they were in uh, middle school or junior high school. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew that they wanted to do that. And now we've had a, a enormous pullback of the uh, of that group, and that that first group, um, they the families are intentionally discouraging people from joining the police department, and the percentages there are are in the in the nineties, in the in the mid nineties, uh, percentage wise, and then we're also facing a mass exodus of cops. I was I was hired. Somehow, some way, I was part of the uh, 94 crime bill. There was just large agencies were able to take advantage of that. Then small agencies, they they got all their officers scooped up by the larger agencies and they had to backfill. So all these people are, are hitting uh, retirement maturity dates right around now also, where people have the option, do I stay or do I leave? And in a hostile environment that we're living in today, where people can't count on their command staffs to back them up and even facing prosecution for doing their job properly, there's no incentive for people to stay. So those people are, are leaving in droves also. And, and with that, 
you know, they're setting the example for, for other people saying, you know, you need to think twice about this career, which compounds the fact that people are working so much more overtime. Uh, my, my, my prayers go out to all the people at the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department that uh, have suffered such, such a tremendous loss in such a short period of time. But the, the stress of the uh, business is no joke anymore. And it's, um, it's not a rewarding career that people are encouraging their, their young folks to, to go into. In fact, during the last uh, couple of years, I had some, um, I had some interns and they were like, I want to be a police officer. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> is there, is there anything I could say to you right now that uh, would make you say, because of course, when you're in that environment, when you're, when you're in the detective bay and all the people around there, um, the only thing that they know is like, you need to become a cop. And, but there's a, there's a whole other world out there. And, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially Generation Z is really embracing that. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to take the profession a long time to, uh, to recover from this. And, and I don't know, tell me what you see. I'm not sure law enforcement leadership um, really has their heads wrapped around this issue. Oh, they certainly don't. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you the other wrinkles that no one else is talking about with Generation Z is that three to five years down the road, who's going to be the sergeants? We're talking about uh, five, five to five to 15 years farther down the road, you know, who are going to be the lieutenants and the captains at that point? Because even if we can get them in the door, even if we can bribe them to join, the uh, the, the fact is, is that if this isn't for them, if this culture doesn't, doesn't welcome and receive them and they don't see the opportunities here, they're going to take that full investment of training, either take it to a better agency or just leave the profession entirely. And so who, who is going to be that next wave? Because otherwise we are going, you know, our chain is going to be off the sprocket. We're going to be peddling, but we're not going to be going anywhere if we, if we don't figure out how to not just get these guys through the front door, but uh, create a home for them, create a place for them, them to stay. And one of the dirty secrets is, is that we think, we think we need X number of cops now. We probably need um, 1.25 per times the officers for, for the future, because what drives young officers, what drives the Generation Z officers that I've spoken to is the uh, opportunity to go, go to training. And, uh, you know, in small departments, I live in an area with a, with a small department, you have, you have three and one, you know, on, on patrol at any given time. We can't, minimum manning, we can't afford to send these people to 40 hours of training here and for, but this guy who wants to be, you know, who wants to be domestic violence trained, DUI trained, who wants <laughs> radar trained, and all these things are 40, 40 to 80 hour class. I want to be an instructor, that's 80 hours. I want to be a driving instructor on top of that, it's another 40 hours. And, um, you know, we can't get these guys out of there. And they're like, ah, no, no problem. I'll go someplace that will let me do that. And uh, I, I live in Florida. So it's, it's really the best place where we're, our governor is paying incentives for officers from out of state to come down here and, and finish out their careers. So we don't have the staffing issues that we have the rest of the rest of the country, but it's still tough here. Yeah. I do a lot of training in Florida and, uh, and I, I talked to those officers who have come from, you know, my native Illinois and, and so many yeah. other, you know, Midwestern states or from the east. And uh, um, yeah, they all say, yeah, the pay is a little bit lower, but 
my chief loves me. The community mm -hmm. loves me. And, uh, you know, I got a bonus so I could afford to move here. And uh, do you think that's the future, you know, hiring bonuses and, you know, kind of copying that corporate America sort of blueprint to at least lure people in? Uh, it, that's only going to work for people who are getting rehired. It's not going to work with Generation Z. Generation Z doesn't really, they, they value their time off more than they value their paycheck. And so when, when we, you start telling them, hey, um, we're, you're going to have to work overtime this weekend, they're like, well, I'm going to leave it the, at the earliest opportunity that I can because that doesn't fit in with, with my lifestyle. And uh, you, we, we do see that time and time again. That, <clears throat> and we have to accommodate that. But what we're also missing out on is the fact that Generation Z can bring so much to law enforcement. We're talking about a generation that's never known a time when they couldn't order a pizza on their phone, that they that they could do do this. My my wife actually ordered me a new set of tires for my truck, and set the appointment and got road hazard by the time we got to the next traffic light one, one time. I mean, this this is their age, and they, and they know that. So when you tell them that they have to go over to this machine and do this, and then scan it, and then sign it, and then scan it again, and then copy it, and then fax it over to the jail, they're like, why can't I do that on my phone? And we need to be listening to them because they do know a better way to do it. They they do know they are going to advance the profession if we let them. But you know, if if you tell them to go go over there and just play on your phone, they will because they want to see what their friends are doing and, and everything like that. Um, but the we've always done it like that is probably going to be our biggest barrier to re retaining staff for, for the future. <laughs> now, while we are trying to retain cops, recruit new cops, we're dealing with a 90s level uh, crime in uh, most of our urban areas that's starting to seep into the suburbs and even into our rural areas. Um, talk about that. What are we going to do about violent crime in this country from a law enforcement perspective? So last last year, um, 2022, we had about 5,000 more murders nationally than we did in 2014. Now that is an extra Pearl Harbor and an extra 9-11 every year. Now we wouldn't tolerate that from a foreign power. So I don't know why we're we're deciding that we're going to tolerate that from our own streets. And, you know, if we're going to do something about it, we need to take crime seriously. But the officers need that cover. I'll tell you, the, you know, I, one of the chiefs I worked for, um, she wound up becoming a, a congressional representative. But uh, she told her she told her officers, you go out there and you do your job and have them send me the complaints. The complaints aren't going anywhere, but they're going to my desk first. And when you when you have leadership like that, you have courageous leadership that's gutsy and that's that's going to stand up for their officers. You're going to get results like that. But right now we have officers just being beaten in the streets of New York, and with no backup from from their administrations. And it's a it's a national crisis to to be seen. And we have um, it's just not worth it for cops anymore to go and approach strangers. They're vilified when they do any type of what's called proactive policing. Several cities around the country have decided to ban traffic stops. 
Now, if I don't have to have a driver, don't have to have a license plate on my car, well, then why do I need to have insurance on my car? Well, then why do I need to have a driver's license at all? And it goes on and on and on like that until we do have complete disorder on the roads and a rising traffic fatality rate, which we're experiencing. You know, when you you talk about that, I get so frustrated because there are, uh, you know, anti-drunk driving groups, anti-impaired driving groups um, that, uh, in, in, you know, they give law enforcement officers awards and things like that. But uh, they won't address that traffic stop issue. You know, we hear so much about that traffic stops, you know, ridiculous things like traffic stops uh, are racist and, and uh, you know, traffic stops are dangerous, this and that. Yeah, that they're dangerous for us. Uh, oh, yeah. But, you know, they're only dangerous for the public when the when the public resists. That's why the National Police Association has a public service announcement. Comply now, complain later. And I right. I uh, I don't know where where do you think that whole traffic stop issue is heading, especially when, uh, you know, we look at the violent crime uh, issue in general around this country. It's a swing of the pendulum and we're going to see it swing back the other way, hopefully soon. But uh, we actually have so many uh, police departments that are in jeopardy of state and federal takeovers. Gavin Newsom rolled um, the California National Guard and the CHP into the streets of San Francisco. The uh, Governor Abbott, you know, wound up demanding that uh, Texas DPS take take a role in um, uh, Austin, Texas, because Austin Austin police were so depleted. Well, the state police are depleted too. But they're 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 wor- working the roads, and people are complaining about about that. But they have the authority. And then in um, the Jackson, Mississippi, which was the murder capital of pretty much the world, uh, oh, it was it it put um, it put Chicago and Baltimore, and uh, <clears throat> pardon me, it put Chicago, Baltimore, and uh, St. Louis to shame, and um, they expanded the role of the Capitol Police. They expanded the Capitol Police jurisdiction in the capital city of Jackson to where it covers three quarters of the city where these guys can go. And but of course, the people who, are, who get arrested there are going to go to a separate court and a separate jail. So uh, so it's receiving a lot of opposition in, in that respect, too. But uh, but it, it is a, a Patterson, New Jersey, was taken over by the New Jersey attorney general's office just because of um, these these type of takeovers. Not to mention the consent decrees that are, you know, uh, federal uh, uh, cottage industry that are going out and, tr- and destroying cop, destroying police agencies. And that's the thing. I don't, I don't know that people really understand the federal encroachment um, that we have into local law enforcement. And of course, you know, we've had that for a long time, but now with this current administration, we see more and more of these consent decrees. Where basically, in layman's terms, a a highly paid consultant gets an office in your police department and uh, and tells you, you know, what policies you're going to have and and this and that. And, uh, you know, there's a theory that that uh, is, you know, a precursor to an ultimate uh, federal takeover of local law enforcement. Well, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act has has passed the House twice. And what it does is it, it does remove. All of the federal agents on uh, of, of in the United States are all all subject to the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act now because he uh, they were able to do that by executive order. 
but they're not the ones that are going to the barn breaking up fights and they're not the ones who are you know um investigating traffic accidents and things like that so it brings federal standards it, it empowered it creates a citizen review boards with subpoena powers and with the ability to write policy so it's a disaster on on all levels and and it's passed the house twice so every time we have a high profile incident like when we had the um memphis five uh case earlier this year this thing keeps coming coming up like a like a bad penny and we just um, we just lost a very important vote in the House of Representatives yesterday by eight votes, and it was eight Republicans that sided with side with Democrats on something. That's enough votes for this thing to pass the House again and be sent to um, to the Senate for reconciliation, and it it threatens the very nature of policing. We won't have policing as we know it if if this thing passes. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right, and it's a it's a frightening, frightening uh, proposal. Uh, but there's it's not all bad news. Uh, no, there's there's something good happening in Georgia, and I've talked a lot about this in the media, and that is um, what people are dubbing "cop city." Uh, Antifa, who doesn't exist according to some, um, has been trying really hard to shut down uh, a public safety training center outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, and uh, so far, um, there's been some really good cooperative law enforcement to stop that effort. Talk about that for a couple of minutes. Oh, I certainly will. Well, the uh, the idea that this is an environmental movement is a complete fraud. This is a land that had, had they're calling themselves defend the Atlanta forest and forest defenders, but these are the same same group that occupied the Wendy's after uh, af- after the shooting in in twenty twenty. Right, of Rayshard so, Brooks, the Rayshard yeah. Brooks shooting. So they, these are the same folks that were radicalized then, and now now they've adopted this cause, and uh, they've brought in a whole um, umbrella of other groups. But they've been there, you know, firebombing uh, construction equipment, setting motorcycles on fire and uh, terrorizing uh, law enforcement officials. They were uh, post- posting signs and doxing the, uh, the state troopers that had been involved in the, uh, in the shooting of Torguita and uh, who had actually shot a Georgia State Patrol officer. So uh, this, this whole thing has been convoluted in the media and they've used that moniker of Cop City and they're, they're concerned about there being uh, military style training and that the the lungs of Atlanta this forest but this is the old Atlanta prison farm and there is no hardwood growth there's just uh, about 90 acres of invasive growth that um, that have been developed there and that they're fortunate to have it have a chief with a real backbone who said you're not going to do this to my officers anymore we're, we're going to come, come back at you strong but the Georgia Bureau of Investigation really did a fantastic job of writing the blueprint on dismantling and defeating Antifa. It's um, their indictment has laid uh, Antifa bare, and Antifa is just just a, another arm of all the forces that are working against, in concert, um, established law enforcement in this country. These are they they work to dismantle that. Now, when when you and I look at the training center, we're like, this this is going to be a, a regional asset that's going to benefit so many officers all around the state. People are going to come from far and near, and they're going to learn both fire rescue techniques and uh, 
driving, driving, shooting, and um, and it's a it's a resource. There's nothing. There's it, it's completely fabricated that this is going to be some sort of militarized thing. But they adopted this as a cause, and they're trying to do that on the West Coast also. Well, indeed, I think they're going to be more probably ultimately more successful on the West Coast, because, again, we have seen Antifa, you know, they're part of Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, the group in uh, Portland, of course, that, uh, you know, tried to, you know, they constantly took over the federal courthouse and all that. And now they're involved in the anti-Israeli, you know, pro-Hamas, pro-Hezbollah, pro-terrorism uh, protests around this country. And that's really separated the wheat from the chaff there. And it's really exposed some of these folks for, for who they are. Uh, the the uh, situation in the Middle, Middle East is tragic. But I hope that a few people's eyes are opened and they're seeing who is on who is on what side. Yeah, you're you're so that's so uh, absolutely astute. I wish we had about three hours to talk, uh, but quickly tell people where they can find you, how they can uh, subscribe to your Substack and follow you on social media. Well, thank you so much. And I, I write the American Peace Officer Substack and you find that at peaceofficer.substack.com. Uh, I'm also easy to find. Just type in Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D, Clee Policing in Google and it'll pop right up. I've tested it, it works. Uh, in case you didn't want to do do all that, I'm also on on LinkedIn and love love to hear from you there and on Twitter. And thank you so much, Rollin. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. And if you'd like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year. Law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.